The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Well, again, welcome to the Inn tonight. My name is Ryan Church, one of the guys on staff here. So glad to see so many of you out uh, this evening, and you're hearing about so many great ways to get connected here at the Inn, a few of which I want to emphasize right now. Uh, the first of those being World Deputation. A World Deputation is our two-month summer missions program where we send students out to cool places all over the world to, to see and participate with what God is doing, uh, again, uh, all over the world. Uh, for me, I got to go on deputation in 1998. I had a chance to go to the Republic of Haiti. And that was a season of my own life where I had grown tremendously in my faith over the, over the time I had been a student here at, at UW and, and here at the Inn. And, and I was really feeling like I needed to give back. I really wanted to go give back and go someplace where I might be able to solve some problems. And, and next thing you know, I end up in Haiti. Well, what I can tell you is that uh, as I went to Haiti, I didn't solve any problems. Uh, the problems that we encountered in Haiti were far too big for me uh, to solve. But what I did discover was that even in the midst of these, these enormous problems and situations that I could not have imagined, poverty that I had never experienced, God was still at work and could even use me in that. It really gave me a vision for how could God use me to further his purposes uh, in the world. And so I really want to encourage you to consider deputation uh, tonight. For, it's two months over the summer, and particularly those of you that are sitting here tonight that have been feeling stagnant in your faith. Maybe you feel a bit stuck. Often, just the change of scenery, doing something different, can be catalytic in helping you uh, find that place that you so desire to be with Jesus. Uh, Originally, applications were due today, but we want to give you another week uh, to consider if deputation might be for you. So if, if there is anything in that tonight, I want, uh, I want you to go talk to Chris and his team. They've been working really hard and have some great sites prepared this year, uh, some new ones. And so uh, consider it and think about uh, joining us for two months uh, this summer on World Deputation. There's a table right over here in the corner uh, following the inn. Also, next week, we are beginning a new series here at the Inn. I've titled it God's Big Yes, bringing our, our thoughts and desires about sex to Jesus. So it, we're going to spend February talking about sex, okay? But I'll just tell you right now, I mean, as I see some murmuring, as I see people getting excited, it's not going to be about, it's not going to be about technique, Okay. We're not going to be talking about, you know, girls or guys, you know, nothing, nothing of, of that variety, okay? But we are going to be talking about sex. Why? The reason is, is that as, as I chat with, with our staff and our interns and even some students, uh, there is clearly a lot of confusion. There's a lot of pain and, of course, a lot of enthusiasm around sex, and so we want, to, we want to continue those conversations, perhaps start them for others of you, and really set aside the entire month of February 
here at the end to uh, talk about sex. We're going to have my friend, they call him the sex guy, uh, Jason Soshnik, uh, coming in to share with us next week uh, to, get us, to get us kicked off uh, in talking about sex here in February. So please uh, come back as February here at the end is sex month. Okay, and then uh, as we get into tonight, we are con- both continuing and concluding a, a month-long look that we've been, uh, where we've been journeying through Paul's uh, letter to this small, up-and-coming church in Philippi. We call it the book of Philippians. We've been asking the question throughout this quarter of what it means to be all in. What does it mean to be all in in Jesus? A few, those of you who were here a couple weeks ago, uh, Janie had you up doing a little P90X, doing your 80-20s, getting you to think about what does it look like to put all your weight down on Jesus. Good thing I wasn't here for those exercises because I would have totes dommed that, all of you. <laughs> Showing you a little bit about what P90X is all about. And then last week, those of you that were here had an awesome opportunity to hear from one of our interns, Kaylee, share from her own story and her journey about putting her weight down on Jesus and learning what it would look like to participate with him. Well, tonight, we're going to continue that series and hopefully wrap up this this look at what it means to be all in uh, with Jesus as we look at at Philippians 4 uh, tonight. So uh, before we do that... As we do any time we come to uh, the Word of God, let's ask God's help in uh, understanding this as we come to it. Let's pray together. Lord, help us out uh, tonight. Uh, It's not always easy to know what your Word means, Uh, but earnestly, Lord, we want to know you a little bit more. We want to know what you have to say uh, to us. Uh, Lord, we want to be all in uh, with you. So, Lord, would you do some work on us? Uh, as we gather and as we listen tonight. Uh, open our, our minds and our hearts to receive whatever it is you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Okay, uh, a couple of contextual notes, a couple of things that perhaps you've picked up in this series before we read it, uh, we read it together. First is this, Paul is writing from a prison. Okay, Paul used to be kind of the chief persecutor of Christians before he himself became a Christian. Well, even this former chief persecutor has met his match in, in the emperor Nero, who now has him in a prison where it is believed that Paul dies. He dies in this prison. So this letter comes from a man writing in prison where he will die. The second contextual note that I've already alluded to a little bit is that the Philippian church is a young church, one of these, these first churches in this little uh, outpost, uh, pretty much along what we would call a highway, that is still seeking to find its identity. Uh, they're kind of all over the board in, in terms of the, there's a lot of division within the church. They're having arguments about anything that you can have arguments about. They're having theological arguments. They're having power, tr- power struggles. Friends are slandering friends. Unfortunately, it's a church that's behaving like a lot of churches that we might encounter even today. Uh, the church behaving a, a little bit badly. So, so Paul fies, finds it important to write to this group of people uh, that is still seeking to uh, discover itself. Okay, as we read this, as I uh, often invite you to do, notice the words or phrases uh, that jump out for you as we do, because Philippians 4 has a lot of great material for uh, tats that you might get in the future. All right, you'll see what I'm saying. Here we go. This is Philippians 4. Therefore, 
My brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Okay, now let's get into some of the tattoo material. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, remember he's writing to the whole church community. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen from me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen? All right. Uh, what jumps out for me in this? There's a few things, but no doubt that first thing that jumps out for me is this, this call to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, as I have heard this phrase in the past, um, as I've heard it talked about, often it gets reduced to this, this kind of, hey, everything's going to be okay. You don't have to worry about anything. Hey, it could be worse. Uh, this, this phrase that is, is kind of used to, to make sure that Christians are always happy. I don't think that's exactly what Paul has in mind, given, of course, that he's writing from prison, given, of course, that he's writing to a church that is in deep disagreement. In fact, I think it's really interesting where this phrase falls. That's what I want to take a few minutes to look at. Now, it's the first thing that we see as uh, is, is we look at, at verse 2, we see these great names that, you're prob- that are probably not at the top of, of your list for your, uh, for your identical twin girls, Yodia and Syntyche, okay? Although if you want to have unique names, I am yet to meet anybody named Yodia or Syntyche, though there were a, f- uh, a couple of girls on staff a few years ago that I called Yodia and Syntyche for good reason, I, I thought. Anyway, Yodia and Syntyche, what's going on with Yodia and Syntyche? Uh, Paul, Paul finds it important enough that he says that they have some sort of disagreement. Now, we don't totally know what this disagreement is over, but as we continue to read, it says, yes, can I ask you, my true companion? And he names this dude Clement. That, now, that's a name I'm familiar with. Actually, I have a friend named Clement who, who they call him Bo. How do you get Bo out of Clement? Anyway, you have Yodias and Tiki and Clement. There's some sort of disagreement. I can't help but This shows you where my weird mind goes. I can't help but wonder if Clement might be part of the disagreement. You know, Sintiki saying, hey, no, 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 Clement is all mine. And Yodi is going, oh, no, my sister. Or Sintiki, or one of them, is looking at it going, no, Clement's mine. Maybe there's a little bit of a Philippian love triangle going here. Okay. Anyway, the scripture doesn't tell us that, but it's one of the things I think. At any rate... Yodia and Syntyche are somehow in a disagreement. That much is really clear. 
Paul finds it important enough to mention these two people in, in the text. Now, if there's anything that I've come to observe, observe in my 37 years of life, oh, there he is, there you go, he's 37, okay, is that often disagreement and unresolved dis- disagreement can quickly lead to anger. Okay, just uh, earlier this month, I was driving home from a Bible study, and I was driving home in, in my brand new Subaru Legacy. Okay, this is, this is late at night, you know, feeling, feeling good about the fact I've been in community, and, I, and I'm, I'm driving this new car, the first new car that I've ever owned in my life. You know, there's less than 6,000 miles on it at this point. And uh, as I get up in, I mean, literally right in front of my house, a car comes from the other, other intersection and boom, hits me. Okay, my brand new car, defiled and dented. Okay, it actually runs just fine. Okay, but there were, there, were, there were dents, there was glass. I jump out of the car going, you hit me. The other guy jumps out of the car going, no, you hit me. Okay, so there's a little bit of a disagreement about who hit who. And honestly, in the moment, we were cordial enough with each other. We exchanged all of our insurance information. But honestly, the rest of my night, I was, I was pretty angry. I tossed and turned all night going, no, that was not my fault. It was not my fault. I had, there were some people that saw it that said, man, that dude was going pretty fast to the intersection. Well, as you get insurance companies involved, uh, which... Honestly, that whole thing, for any of you that have ever been in an accident, can probably empathize with the fact that negotiating when you get insurance companies involved is, is kind of a part-time job. Well, as it turns out, um, as actually, I got this news just this week, my insurance guy, I believe the phrase that he used was, well, it has, it has been found that you are um, at best in the, in the majority of the wrong. Okay. Basically, that was his gentle way of saying, you might be entirely responsible for it. Yet, I had this moment right away saying, no, 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 it was, it was his fault. Well, what happens in, in that moment is that there's this tremendous sense of, of shame. You know, I'm just embarrassed that it happened. Like, I got in a fender bender right in front of my house, and I find myself going, ah, and, and when that happens, what do I start doing? I start thinking of anything I can. I start thinking about how I can lie to somehow not take responsibility for this. I think about, is, is there any way that I can, I can spin the story so that I'm somehow not at fault? But what happens in this, in this unresolved dispute, this anger, is that I somehow turn, and perhaps you can understand this, I turn on myself. And that the greatest source of my anger is me. When that happens, how much rejoicing is going on in my life? When I'm embarrassed about something. I'm embarrassed I got in a car accident. And, and when, when that anger and embarrassment turn to self-loathing, guess how much fun I am to be around? Not much fun at all. Yet I believe that this is the situation that Paul is speaking into with his friends. By the way, these two women in ministry. Mm-hmm. Okay, to his friends that they're they're angry with each other. Yet he's saying rejoice. There's a reason to rejoice. 
How is that possible? These two are at each other, and he's still saying, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Well, then, what, what follows that is also interesting to me. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, okay, do not be anxious. So he starts in this place of, of saying, rejoice in anger. Okay, what is, what is anger? Anger is, as I've just showed, is something that happens that's rooted in the past that brings up this sort of negative emotion. Says rejoice, and then, then what does he talk about? He talks about anxiety. I believe that, that honestly, anger and anxiety are the same thing. They're just pointed a different direction. You see, anger is pointed at the past. Anger's going, something happened. I'm, I'm upset about it. I'm embarrassed about it. I'm ashamed about it. And it leads to anger. Anxiety says, I have that same emotion about the future. Anxiety is born out of that question, am I going to be okay? Is everything going to be okay? Uh, now, to illustrate a little bit about what we're talking about with anxiety, I want to show you a clip from a movie that, my, that actually makes my four-year-old a little bit anxious. Okay? Many of you, I think, are familiar with this, but we're going to take a look at our friend, our, our good friend and father, uh, Marlon, from, from Finding Nemo, okay? to, to give us a little bit of an idea about what we're talking about when we're talking about anxiety. Take a look. First day of school, here we go. We're ready to learn to get some knowledge. Now, what's the one thing we have to remember about the ocean? It's not safe. That's my boy. So, first, we check to see that the coast is clear. We go out and back in. And then we go out and back in. And then one more time, out and back in. And sometimes, if you want to do it four times... Dad. All right, come on, boy. Maybe while I'm at school, I'll see a shark. I highly doubt that. Have you ever met a shark? No, and I don't plan to. How old are sea turtles? Sea turtles? I, I don't know. Sammy Plankton from next door, he said that sea turtles, said that they, they live to be about 100 years old. Well, you know what? If I ever meet a sea turtle, I'll ask him. After I'm done talking to the shark, okay? Whoa, 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 hold on. Hold on, wait to cross. Hold my fin. Hold my fin. Dad, you're not going to freak out like you did at the petting zoo, are you? Hey, that snail was about to charge. I love that. You're not going to freak out like you did at the petting zoo, are you? Great stuff that shows us a little bit about this anxiety that I'm talking about. When someone is deeply anxious, as we just saw in Marlin, there's not a whole bunch of rejoicing that we can identify. You see, anxiety happens when there are, those, there are just too many things that feel out of our control. Perhaps many in this room are experiencing a type of anxiety tonight. This is the time of year, especially for seniors, where you are just tired of the question, what are you doing next year? It's a future-oriented question. Perhaps some of you are anticipating midterms here in the near future that is creating in you a sense of anxiety. And of course, there are, there are bigger issues as well. Is my relationship going to be okay? Is my parents 
relationship going to be okay. There's some that are anxious because they're gay and nobody knows about it. There's all sorts of things that we, that we are forecasting that create this deep sense of anxiety because they are beyond our ability to control them. Unresolved guilt in the past and anxiety about the future will compete with this invitation to rejoice. And so in the middle of this situation where there's anger, and in acknowledging that there is this anxiety, these two, this one that looks in the back, and this one that looks forward, what we see from the Apostle Paul, what we understand about his faith is that he has this deep faith that the present reality, somebody writing from prison, the present reality trumps past anger and future anxiety. That the present reality trusts past anger and future anxiety. How is this rejoicing possible? If I'm to be really honest, this is one of those passages in the Bible that I go, really? Is this really possible? Well, I think Paul actually helps us in the words that follow grab onto a little bit about how this type of rejoicing is possible. I want to I assert that they're the three Ps of Philippians 4. Okay, three Ps. Ready? First is patience. Let your gentleness be evidence, be evident to all. Now, embedded in this word gentleness, we could translate it forbearance. We could even translate it, I think, uh, to be patience. What are we talking about in, in, this, in this idea of gentleness? I think what Paul is getting at is saying, slow down. Take the big picture in mind. Instead of being so anxious and, and living in this sense of urgency or, or however anger may take over your thoughts, slow down. Let's slow things down. There's a great story in the Gospel of John where there is a woman who's been caught in adultery. And there is, is kind of this kangaroo court that is there to execute her. And they, they have stones ready to throw. And there's this, this mysterious scene of Jesus being present and writing in the sand. And of course, everybody wants to know, what in the world did Jesus write in the sand, if that's what the scriptures tell us that he did? Well, one great interpretation that I've heard of this is that it really doesn't matter what he was writing in the sand, but that what he was doing right there was intended to just slow things down, to allow things to settle down and to allow the crowd to have to regain a bigger picture perspective. I think that Paul is on to something similar when he's saying, let your gentleness be evident to all. How many people who you know are angry, would you describe them as gentle? How about anxious? He's saying, slow down. Do a little bit something different where anger and anxiety are not going to win. Patience. Patience. The second one is this, okay? Shocker here, prayer, okay? In, uh, what, what does he say here? He says, um, in every situation, by prayer 
in petition. Again, in the category of things that can frustrate me, if not make me a bit uh, bewildered, dare I say even a little bit angry about Scripture, it's like, okay, Scripture, Paul telling me to pray more. Shocker there. Okay, what hap- why, do, why does that happen to me? Why do I get frustrated with that? Because often I think, okay, okay, I need to pray more, or I need to change what I'm praying Uh, And if I can just find that successful formula in prayer, then I won't even be in these situations that I might find myself in the first place. But there's a couple of really cool things that I think Paul tells us about prayer right here. The first is this, that the word that is used uh, for prayer right here has really has an orientation to it. it. It really says pray toward God. Why is that significant? Because what I think Paul is trying to do here is, is to say there's a different direction for you to look than the direction of anger. There's a different direction for you to look than the direction of anxiety. Pray toward God. It is a, a reorientation. Well, he continues, pray with thanksgiving. Let me ask you this. Think about whatever you pray about, and what if you just changed everything you prayed about to thanksgiving, to prayers of thanksgiving? What would that do to your mind? What would that do to your heart? Okay, he's saying, change change perhaps the way that you pray. And then he goes on to that that great passage that that gives that list of things uh, to think about. Uh, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about such things. Here's another, here's another, what I think he's getting at here is pray with imagination. Pray with imagination. Instead of being consumed with that sense of anger rooted in the past, anxiety rooted in the future, what if you prayed with imagination? An imagination that draws from perhaps the Old Testament. We could go back to Deuteronomy or Leviticus and, and think about where God is sharing his heart on justice. Yes, the poor might always be among us, but in God's imagination, they're cared for. What if we were using our imagination on how people might be cared for? What if we were using our imagination about ourselves? Uh, we're reading this book as a, as a staff right now called Too Busy Not to Pray. And one of the things that this book has challenged us and our staff to do is it says, it, it, it says, what does it look like for us to be more consumed with the mountain mover than actually moving the mountain? What if we're focused on the mountain mover instead of the mountain? I think that's the type of imagination that Paul is giving us in prayer. What is he saying in, is he's inviting us to rejoice. He's saying pray, but perhaps do it a little bit different. It's not about what you pray. It's about who you pray to and about what that one can do. Finally, he says, finally, there's a promise. What's the promise I'm getting at here? Uh, Let's continue reading in verse uh, in verse 10, it says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord 
that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. (laughs) Nice save, Ryan. Nice save. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Tattoo time. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I think it's interesting right there that Paul says, in basically, in plenty and in want. Uh, how often do, do we hear about, or, you know, I mean, the tabloids make a business out of this, of, of, of people who have plenty, man, how much do they need something? Uh, and perhaps it's the same thing as those who are in want. We can mess ourselves up just as much in plenty as we can be messed up in want. Interesting note. But there's a promise here, and that promise is that great verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Okay, we all have our story around this. I certainly have mine that, you know, as I'm running marathons, there isn't any other prayer I pray more than, Lord, strengthen me. You know, I can do, I can claim that verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And often when I'm praying that, what am I, what do I think I want? I want to be done. Is there some way that, that Jesus can divinely teleport me to the finish line and have it be all done? Is there any way that, that the pain that I'm feeling in that moment can just go away? The promise isn't to be removed from that situation, isn't to somehow make it disappear. The promise is is to have the strength in it. The miracle is that I actually get to the finish line, pain and all, that the strength was delivered to get there. In this promise, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Again, we are confronted with who it is, and it's not us that does that. We remember who gives that strength. We need to remember the promise as we remember to pray and as we slow down and be patient. What does it mean to be all in with Jesus? What does it look like for us to take Jesus up on this invitation to joy? And that's the question we need to address tonight. Are you pursuing a God that invites you to joy? Or is the God that you're pursuing angry? Angry at you? Angry at something? Or is the God that you pursue anxious about you? No, what we are hearing in this passage is about a God that invites you to joy. So the invitation is that Jesus is more durable than our past anger. Jesus is more enduring than our future anxieties. Jesus can handle us in plenty. Jesus can handle us in want. Paul says we can go all in because even from a prison, 
the gospel's durable. It can handle him. It can handle his disappointment. It can handle his situation. Friends, the gospel can handle you, can handle your desires, can handle your anger, can handle your anxiety. And the invitation is to experience joy in a God that takes great joy in you. That's the God that we go all in on because he's gone all in on us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are, uh, that you invite us to rejoice even when we are angry, even when we are anxious, uh, that you endure uh, past those things. Uh, So, Lord, uh, we pray that you would make this real in our lives uh, and that we might know you um, that much more as we seek uh, to experience that joy uh, that in this moment we know you so desire to give us. Uh, And so, God, help us out as, as we go from here. Give us a great weekend together at the winter retreat. We ask this in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen.